appreciate you being here today. Let's pray, and then we'll open God's Word. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. We thank you, Father, that because of that, we can have a, a relationship, a living, renewed, invigorated relationship with you, the living God. And I pray, Father, that today you would uh, teach us as only you can do. And I pray, Lord, today that you would remind us of your great love for us. So much that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die just for us. Lord, drive that love, that curse, deep into our hearts, we pray today in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I want to start with, uh, with a question. Just, just uh, imagine... Imagine that you are in a relationship. It could be different types of relationships in your life. But just, just imagine that you're in a relationship where commitment is questioned. Just think about that type of relationship. And so you're in this relationship, and, 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 and you love this person, and you want to have this relationship with this person again, whatever type of relationship that is in your life. And you say something that you shouldn't say, or you do something you shouldn't do, or they don't like, and all of a sudden, the relationship is over. Or, you, you, you love them so much, and so you talk to them, and you get back together, and then you go on with this relationship, and, and you go through a life stage. Cert, certain circumstances happen in your life, and boom, the relationship is over. They cut off the relationship. Or maybe, you, you get back, and you're in this relationship, and then just on a whim, just on a whim, the relationship is cut off. That's the relationship I had with God for the first uh, ten years of my spiritual life. I thought that um, I could do something. I loved Him. I had trusted in Christ. But I thought if I did something I shouldn't do, then he wasn't committed to me any longer. I thought that if I said something I shouldn't say, or I sinned, or there was a time in my life of staleness from a, a, a life circumstance, he wasn't with me any longer. And I always, I always was questioning the commitment of God. That type of relationship does two things. It's a relationship of control, right? One person's in charge. And fear. What if I do something? If God doesn't love me anymore. Take your Bibles and turn with me, or your iPads, or your uh, iPhones, and turn with me to 1 John. We're going to look at chapter 5. There's one verse today as we wrap up this letter. You remember that John wrote this letter uh, to... Uh, the churches surrounding Ephesus. Ephesus was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. And around 50 A.D., Paul then went back on his third missionary journey and stayed there for about two or three years. Now, when John writes this, it's 100 A.D., and so the church in Ephesus is about 50 years old. John is the last of the living disciples He's about 70 or 80 in a time when the life expectancy was much lower. And he is kind of...
kind of the elder statesman of the church. When John speaks, people listen. And so he's writing from Ephesus to the church in Ephesus, but also surrounding churches around that area. A lot of people think they're the seven churches of Revelation. He's writing to them. He writes the letter for five reasons, and these reasons are woven in and out of the book from the beginning to the end. John is about community, Christians belonging to each other and understanding that and and enriching each other's lives. And so community is one of the reasons he writes this letter. These are in your sermon notes if you want to follow along. He writes to help believers experience true joy. We're going to go through stuff in our life, circumstances that drag us down. But he says beneath all that, when you have a relationship with the living God, you can experience true joy. To help believers from fall into patterns of sin, we'll talk about that. To guard believers from false teaching, we'll talk about that. He writes for those five reasons, but if we would say here is the main reason, this is the primary reason that John writes this book. It's found in John chapter 5, 13. John wants us to know that God is committed to you forever. He wants us to know that as a child of God, we never have to question His commitment. We never have to worry about what we will say or do that He will say, no, you're not with me anymore, and I'm withdrawing myself from you. And so John tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, this is the main reason. There are other reasons. We've seen those. This is the main reason. John says, I want you to know that God is committed to you forever. First John 5, 13, he says, I write these things. These things would be all the things in the letter. I've written this letter to you. I've written these things in the letter. We'll look at some of these things today. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You've trusted in Christ. I'm writing these things to believers. And here's why I'm writing them. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to wake up knowing. Here's what I want you to go to bed knowing. I want you to know God is committed to you. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Not a maybe, not I hope, not I'll wait till the end, but I want you to know today that you have eternal life. Because that's the only way you're going to live in freedom, right? That's the only way you're going to live without fear. That's the only way you're going to be able to follow hard after Jesus Christ. If you understand that come what may, God is committed to you and will always be committed to you. Even when you fail, even when you fall, even when you stumble, God is committed to you. These things that John writes are the things that he's told us and we've been studying throughout the book of 1 John. We're going to see seven things today. We're going to go back and kind of group some things together. And there are seven things, seven proofs that we are a child of God. I want you to to go through this, jot these down, seven of them. You can't remember seven of them. You can go back and review. But I want you to walk out of here today knowing one thing, that 
God is full and forever committed to you. Here are the seven things that we see. The first one is this. It's one of the proofs of assurance is that we have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with, with the living God. Have you done that? Do you know for certain that you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone? And does that trust have some teeth to it? Does it have some substance to it? Not just I signed a card, not just I walked an aisle, not just I prayed a prayer, but there is some substance to my trust in Jesus Christ. That's where a relationship with the living God starts. John said in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has, that God gave us eternal life. And this eternal, so God gave us this free gift of eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's pretty black and white, isn't it? The defining point, the defining line is Jesus Christ. He is the testimony. He is the essence of this eternal life we have. He is the free gift from God. Life is in Jesus. You have Jesus, you have life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Now remember, John is writing to a group of people. The church is about 50 years old, and he's writing to a group of people who are struggling with this heresy called Gnosticism. There are a lot of branches of Gnosticism. Just think of Gnosticism like this. The spirit is good, and matter is evil. Spirit good, matter evil. One of the branches of Gnosticism was started by this guy, and a lot of people think that John is writing right to this guy, and this person put forth this belief. He said, when Jesus came on earth, he was just a man like you and me, no virgin birth, no miraculous conception, just a man like you and me, right? And then at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came and landed upon him, and so these three years of his ministry, he could do the miracles and raise people from dead and do all the things that God can do, but then God can't die on a cross, and so before Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit left him again. So John wants to make sure when we say we trust in Jesus, we are trusting in the right Jesus. So he says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, by this you know the Spirit of God, Every, so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, every spirit, the person, who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. The flesh is from God. So he's saying every person who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, part of trusting in Christ is, I believe Jesus Christ was fully man, because that's what the Bible says. But not just fully man. I believe that God, from the, that Jesus from the beginning to the end, was fully God. And so he says in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, which will go there on the, chart, on the, tape, on the uh, table, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his, his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. When you read in Scripture, Son of, that means equal to. Whoever confesses first that Jesus came in the flesh, but also whoever confesses that Jesus is 
God, that person has God abiding in him. That person abides in God. That person is a true believer. Now, a lot of people will say, well, here's the deal. I believe in God. We're going to do this relevant faith series, this God exists. Yeah, I don't have to deal with that. Say, I look up in heavens, I see the stars, and I mean, who, who else could have created? I mean, there's got to be this powerful being out there. I, I got no problem with the existence of God. It's just with Jesus, I have issues with. Yeah, a lot of people say that. I believe in God. That's called a theist. A theist. I believe in God. What about Jesus? That's always the question. What about Jesus? Jesus is the dividing line. And John has been driving this point home again. He did it in his gospel. He's done it in his letter. You can't have one without the other. It's a package deal. Look at verse, at chapter 2, verses 21 and 23. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one sent from God, that Jesus is the anointed one? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. You see what John did? You denied Jesus, but really you're denying the Father who sent him and the Son who was sent. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is a package deal. So you cannot say, I love God, I love God, I'm going to serve God, I just don't get into Jesus. John says it doesn't work like that. If you love God, you understand that He sent His Son to die for you on the cross so that you could love Him, so you could have a relationship with Him. And John uses this theological word that we've looked at. He uses it in John 2.2 and uh, John 4.10, propitiation, appeasement. It looks like this. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And the Bible says what? the wages of our sin is what? Death. And the Bible does, this doesn't mean physical death. We'll all experience that. But the Bible teaches that it is a spiritual death and it is an eternal death. So we talk about the the, the judgment of God being on our sin. So we could say the wrath of God is on our sin. And here we go. God's wrath comes. And if we're going to stand on our own, that's what's going to happen. We are going to experience the wrath of God throughout eternity. That's called hell. But God doesn't want that. He's committed to you. And He loves us so much that He sent His Son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He doesn't change. He still judges sin. He's not going to go back on His Word. He judges sin. And so His wrath comes, but He sent His Son, Jesus, to take on the wrath of God. Jot down John chapter 3, verse 36. Jot down 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Jot down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Those are verses that say Jesus has come to rescue us from God's wrath. And so being a Christian simply is this. I, I don't want to be here. I, I, can't, I can't 
please God on my own. I can't have a relationship with God on my own. With On my own, I am going to experience His wrath. So I place my trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only to have a relationship with the living God. Have you done that? Have you done that? When you do that, I just want to tell you, that's not like a decision you make. Like, um, every time someone says, um, you know, one of the best decisions I made in my life was trusting in God. That's like, for me, that's like someone taking their fingernail and scratching across one of those doors, right? They are putting a supernatural act and communicating it as a as a common decision. I bought a Toyota 4Runner. It has 150,000 miles on it. Man, that was, a, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. You know, we, 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 we bought a home in a, in a great area years back, and boy, that was one of the best decisions Lori and I ever made. And oh, yeah, trusting in Jesus, that's a great decision. When you grow in Christ, you realize wasn't a common experience. God did something supernatural in your heart. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And He woke you up. And He made you alive. What we have is supernatural relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the second fruit of our assurance is this. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just think about that. Reflect on that. The Spirit of God lives in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says this, By this we know we abide, or by this we know we are Christians, or by this we know we walk with God and He with us, because what? He has given us His Spirit. John Chapter 2, verse 20, says the Holy Spirit will give us all the knowledge we need. Uh, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God lives in you. And he empowers you to live the life that he calls you to live. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't have to sin. You will, and I will, because we will go rogue. We'll go independent from the Spirit. We'll do our own thing. But the Spirit is in us, and He's the one who allow, He empowers us to live a life pleasing to God. And here's what He also does. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how we know that we know. There are times when, it's not audibly, but the Spirit says, You are mine. I am committed to you. I will never let you go. You can turn your back on me. I'll convict you. We'll talk about that in a second. But I will never let you go. I want you to know God is fully and eternally committed to you. 
and when the Holy Spirit is working in our life. Okay, so we've trusted in Christ. First proof. Holy Spirit lives within us. Second proof. The third proof is this. When we've trusted in Christ, have a relationship with the living God, and the Holy Spirit has come to live within us, then we are, by His supernatural work in our life, committed to obedience. We are committed to doing what He calls us to do. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. By this we know we have come to know Him. If, what? We keep His commandments. Whoever says, oh, I know Him, I believe in God, I got it, I have a relationship with Him, I'm just not going to do anything He tells me to do, but does not keep His commandments. Remember, John's 70 or 80 years old. He's the elder statesman, so he can get by with saying whatever he wants to say, right? And he's black and white. That guy's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That doesn't mean we become perfect. That simply means the love of God does what it intended to do. We obey him. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. We talked about that a few times ago. That doesn't mean that obedience is not hard, because it is hard. It's easier to disobey. Right? Hebrews says sin's fun. For, for a while, for a season. But there's always this consequence. And God says, my commandments are not burdensome. They always are for yourself. Better obey than to have to go through those consequences of disobedience. Committed to obedience. How does that look in your life? committed to obedience. John chapter 3 says this, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. A practice of sinning. That's the pattern of your life. An habitual pattern of sinning. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Look at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God destroyed our inclination to practice sinning or keep sinning or live a life of habitual sin. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and cannot he cannot keep on sinning. He, check it out. He cannot keep on sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. Did you guys hear that? He can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It is a supernatural act. We trusted in Christ. He brought us to Himself. It's His work 
He enlivens our hearts. He's given us the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who empowers us. And now, with the Holy Spirit living in us, the true believer cannot keep on sinning. Well, how long can we sin? I don't know why you asked that question. You really didn't. I asked that question, right? How long can we sin? I don't know how long we can sin. What's what's this pattern of sin look like? I don't know what it is in your life. I I, I have my sins that dog me, you have yours. But here's the deal. If I would say, you'd come and say to me, you know, John did such and such. And I knew John. I would say, you know what? That, that, that just doesn't sound like John to me. That just, that's just out of character for John. That just doesn't look good on him. I, I'm surprised that he would do that. On the other hand, you could say, you know, Tom <clears throat> did so-and-so, and you could say, well, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at that. Right? When the believer sins, it is out of character. It doesn't look good at us. It's not who we are. It's not what we do. And we don't have to do it because the Holy Spirit lives within us. The believer does not keep on sinning. And that brings us to the fourth The fourth proof is the believer experiences tender-hearted confession. Tender-hearted. We're going to sin. But remember, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And one of the works, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. If you are sinning and you don't give a rip about it, and you're going to keep on sinning, and you really don't care, and you don't ever think about it, and you just keep sinning, i got to say, time out, red flag, is the Holy Spirit living in you. Because the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction. We don't do that. We're in this thing together. God loves you completely. I live within you. This doesn't look good on a believer. We don't do that. And so there's going to be conviction, and there's going to be guilt. Might we do that sin again? Absolutely. But there's going to be conviction again, and there's going to be guilt. And so the believer lives with tender-hearted confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now, John says in 1.8, if we say we don't have sin, we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. So John's not calling for any perfected life here. He's saying that we're going to sin. And when we do, if we confess our sins, that word confess means to agree with. God, you are right, and I was wrong. You are right. This is not what I should be doing. God, you are right. I agree. This is what I should have been doing. If we confess our sins, we don't put blame on anyone else. We don't write it off. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to what? Aren't you glad? to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all that unrighteousness in our life that Jesus died for in the first place. Why can the Holy Spirit forgive us our sins? Why can God forgive us our sins? Because the wrath of sin has already been taken care of by Jesus. Every sin we've committed or ever will commit is paid for by Jesus. Worked out by Him. He paid the penalty. And so now, we can, as a believer, we can go to God 
and say, you're right, I confess my sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And so, for the true believer, that's a, that's a demonstration, right? Tender-hearted confession. Here's another one. Demonstrated love. Demonstrated love. Let me give you a few uh, verses here. First John 2, uh, 9 through 11. That's one. I won't read that one. First John chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers or love other believers. That's, that's generic. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Those in the family. Whoever does not abide, does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. First John three sixteen through eighteen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for other believers. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, John's terminology for believers, little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in truth. Indeed, we love John says in John chapter four verses nine nineteen to twenty one. We love because he first loved us. The supernatural act he brought us to himself. If anyone says I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. What's John saying here? When you are a true child of God, and God committed to you. You are going to demonstrate love to other believers. When you can help them out, God puts them in your path like the Good Samaritan, right? God laid that guy who's beaten and bruised right in front, right in the road. The priest and the Levite had to walk around him. Guy's right there. This was in the, Jesus told this story. In answer to the question, who's my neighbor? Who's my brother and sister, right? And the Good Samaritan said, I'm not going not to walk around him. I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice my money. This is inconvenient for me. i got places to go just like those other two. But I'm going to take care of this because God puts this person right in my path. And so as a believer, when God puts someone in your path, someone who's hurting, going through a difficult time, emotional need, a spiritual need, a physical need, and you have the means, that's what we do. God says that's how we do it here. We take care of each other. Oh, I know how I do it. I just call the church and uh, you guys have that mercy fund, right? Now, John says, I'm putting it in front of you. Tag, you're it. I didn't lay this person in front of everybody else. Put it in front of you. How are you going to respond? The demonstration that we're a true child of God is we take care of each other. That doesn't mean we always like each other. Right? That doesn't mean we don't have personalities that kind of grate on each other. That doesn't mean everyone in here is going to be your best friend. It does mean we all have this in common as believers. Jesus died for us on the cross. God, in His grace, supernaturally brought us to Himself. We all have the Holy Spirit living within us. 
and we're going to spend eternity together. And so we're going to take care of each other on the way there. Because God is so committed to us. We've trusted in Christ's supernatural act. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Supernatural act. We desire to obey because the Holy Spirit lives in us. There are going to be times when we sin, and so we have a tender heart. We confess our sins. We demonstrate love to each other. These are the proofs of assurance, the proofs that God is committed to us. Number six, rejecting the world. Look at chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Remember, the world is that system that we're in, Satan's domain. Jesus says that Satan is the prince of this world. Paul says that Satan is the god of this age. John says that everything going on in the world is controlled by the evil one. That's where we live. So John says, right, here we are. Here's where we're living. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you look more like the world than you do the Father, your DNA might be of the world and not of God. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Not from the Father, but from the world. The things of this world will tempt us. The things of this world will come at us hard. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything there is to know. And he's not all-powerful. But he is a student. He is a student of our behavior. You guys ever gone online and you've, you've ordered something like running shoes or whatever? Asics, gel counters, right? And you, and you look around and you get the right one, the size and all this stuff. And then you go Google something and all of a sudden, Asics gel counters pop up on you. How did they know that? Well, in the same way, Satan is not omniscient, but he is a student of our behavior. And he knows how to tempt us. And he knows what trips us up. And we live in this world that is totally opposed to God. It is Satan's domain. You know what Satan's domain looks like? El Paso, Texas, where 20 people are killed. Dayton, Ohio, where another 20, was it 20 people? Are killed. That's Satan's realm. He has no regard for life. And that's why the believer says, we have regard for life. From conception to the last breath, God's in control. And we're protected. And we want to protect each other along the way. And so we get bombarded with this stuff. Materialism. Man, you got to drive the right car, don't you? Appearance. you got to look a certain way. you got to do certain things. We just get bombarded by this. But we've been learning through 1 John, here we stand and we will stand. And God lives within us. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. And 
God's going to protect us. See, that's how you know someone is a true believer. That's how you know God's committed to them because He is protecting them in the world. When someone looks more like the world than Jesus, you've got to start asking some questions, right? If people can't differentiate you, your habits, what you do in life, what drives you from your unbelieving neighbor next door, that's a red flag. When God is within us, we can be perfect, absolutely not. Does it mean we need to live in a shack with dirt floors? No. But it means we understand everything we have is a gift from God, and we're going to use it to honor Him, not promote ourselves. And we're going to be those who understand that the world is coming at us full force. But we can stand, not we on our, on our own, because we'd fall every time. But the Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit of God protects us. God is committed to us forever. One more. Trusted in Christ, right? Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. We, we keep a short list of sin in our life because the Holy Spirit convicts us. We desire to obey. We take care of other believers. We, um, we reject the, the world. We fall sometimes, but that's not our pattern. We reject the world. And then finally, perseverance. Perseverance. We keep on keeping on. We remain in Him. Now, perseverance sounds to me too much, um, too much like I'm in it, right? And so I like the word preserve. God preserves us. God keeps us to the end. First Timothy says, "The work that He started in you, He's going to finish it, because He is committed." Look at this passage uh, in First uh, John, John chapter two, verse twenty-five, four and twenty-five. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise: you're going to remain in Him all the way to eternal life. What He started, He's going to finish. Another passage. 1 John 2, 28 and 29. Now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. For you know that He is righteous, and you may be sure that everyone born of Him practices righteousness. We, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. We keep on. We remain in Him. We, uh, we stay with Him. We don't go out from Him. One more passage. First John chapter 2, verse 19. Now listen to this. They, talking about the false teachers, they went out from us. So that means they were there in the church, right? They were among them. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out 
that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. You know what John's saying? There was a group of people, they were with us, and they left us, and when they left us, it proved that they were not really with us, because if they had been with us, if they'd been true believers, they would have stayed, persevered. They would have persevered. They would have remained. They would have abided. They would have been preserved by God. Years ago, this has been in the news, I spoke at a World of Life family camp this week, and we speak on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, and then on Wednesday, the both speakers come together and there's a question and answer time, and this question was a big one uh, this uh, time at Word of Life. Um, years ago, there was a guy who wrote a book that Christians bought into big time. Uh, it was on uh, date. It was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And it was a guy who um, had dated and said he had been hurt and hurt others, and dating was just about... Uh, selfishness and sex, and so he wrote this book when he was 23. I kissed dating goodbye, and he said the real deal is you got to do courtship, and so you kind of figure out who you want to marry, and then you go talk to the parents, and then you enter into this courtship. Lori and I never, we never, a lot of people did. Lori and I never bought that. Um, we actually like the Old Testament model better. You just choose the mate for your child, right? Smartest people in the room make the smartest decisions, right? Well, we never bought that. We thought, hey, how do you, how do you just all of us wake up one day and say, I want to marry that person? And it, I mean, dating, we didn't allow our kids to date until they were 16, and then only in groups. And we didn't want them to date early in college because you want to, you don't want to get to know people and figure out what's going on, right? You want to see people in non-dating relationships. Anyway, we didn't buy it. So fast forward now. 22 years. This guy wrote another book, Boy Meets Girl, and and Christians ate that up. By the way, we're, we're pretty gullible sometimes, aren't we? And he's pastor in a church. Pastor in a church. Big church. I think it's, I, I'm not even sure where it is. I won't even say because I'm not sure where it is. It's big church. So this comes out in Instagram, social media. Here's what he says picture of he and his wife on social media. We're writing to share the news that we are separating and we'll continue our lives together as friends. When I read this, just notice the way he romanticizes their separation. In recent years, some significant changes have taken place in both of us. It is with sincere love for one another and understanding of our unique story as a couple that we are moving forward with this decision. We hope to create a generous and supportive future for each other and for our ma- for three amazing children in the years ahead. Thank you for understanding and respecting our privacy during a difficult time. Okay, so this guy did, I mean, he, this is premeditated, right? It's on Instagram. Their pictures are there, you know? Crafted story about how much they still love each other, even though they're separating and they're going to do all these great things for the kids, even though they're not committed. So then, a couple of days later, Another story comes out. Again, this is nice. What I'm going to read to you wasn't just like shared over a cup of coffee, like I'm really struggling. I'm thinking through this. This is on Instagram. It's well thought out. It's well presented. And it's picture on Instagram is this by this beautiful lake, right? He's just staged. 
And here's what he says. These are his words. The information that I left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. My Christian friends, I'm grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. Check this out. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. In theological words, that's called apostasy. However long he said he walked with God, here's the deal. I, I don't pray for him. Pray for his his wife. Pray for his kids. And pray for that church. He's wondering, what in the world just happened to us? But here's the truth of Scripture. They went out from us because they were not of us. So someone who walks away from God never had a true relationship with God in the first place. You cannot lose the relationship with God because God is committed to you. And if you walk with Him, it means He is walking with you. And if you walk away from Him, it means you are always walking by yourself, regardless of what you promoted, regardless of what you wrote about, and regardless of what you preached. That's what happened in John chapter 2. They went out from us because they were not of us. That still applies for us today, doesn't it? God is committed to you. The worship team is going to come out and sing a song about this, about this powerful Lord that we serve. But I want you to know, whoever you are, what you're going, whatever you're going through, if you're a child of God, He is committed to you. And you know He's committed to you when you truly, sincerely have trusted in Jesus Christ. Because that was a supernatural work that happened. You know that He's truly committed to you when He sends His Holy Spirit to live within you. And that Spirit testifies to you, you are mine. You know you're truly committed to Him, and He's truly committed to you, when you have a tender heart towards sin. Because the Holy Spirit is convicting us, doesn't let us live in it. You know He's committed to you when, when you are committed to obedience. Because when He's enlivened your heart, you want to obey this God, right, that sent His Son to die for you and give you eternity? You demonstrate love to other people. Because that's what we do in the family of God. That's what we do when God has interrupted our life and set us on a new course. We reject the world because the world is 
run by Satan. And nothing good is there. We're protected in it. And we keep on keeping on. We are not an apostate. We keep on abiding. Not because of our strength, but because what? God preserves us. Aren't you glad, as a believer, that God is committed to you all the way to eternity? Father, work in our hearts. Help us to know that truth if we're truly a believer. And if we're not, Lord, today, convict us and open our hearts to allow us to trust in Jesus. Only way to have a relationship with the living God. Father, for all believers, we're going to stand now and we're going to sing about our great Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that we sing this song from the very bottom of our hearts to think of our Savior who reached down and grabbed us out of hell itself, who took on our wrath for us and allows us now to live a life pleasing to you. You're committed to us through Jesus, and we want to sing about him now.
like to trust in Christ, would love to walk with you through that. Maybe you'd like to pray about assurance, would love to walk with you through that. Anything going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We're here up here now, but we're also here during the week. So if you have something come up during the week and you'd like to pray, just give us a call. And uh, we'd love to interact with you, whatever you're going through in your life. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his name and only his name can calm our fears. We thank you, Father, that because of Jesus, we know you are committed to us and will be forever. And Father, I pray that we can leave here and live in that freedom that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So with us we pray in Christ's name.